It's good to see everybody here. So I've got an announcement to make first. Um, May 19th, three weeks from today, is our Friends and Family Fun Day. That sounds great, doesn't it? Friends and Family Fun Day, we've kind of combined some things. We've moved friends and family and our fun day to uh, spring. A couple of reasons for that, but one is, and it's going to be this year, not only is it going to be Friends and Family Fun Day, but it's also uh, a day that we're going to use to celebrate a 15-year anniversary of Valley View. So the, the real anniversary is not till like June 4th for 15 years, but we're going to bump it just a little ahead, and we're going to celebrate it on May 19th. And there's some, you're going to be hearing more about that, and Spencer's going to promote that more. Uh, be prepared and think about that. We're going to have a 2 o'clock worship service in the afternoon, which is a little bit different. Um, we're going to follow that up with some fun time and some fellowship time, and then around 4.30, all the feast will begin, and all the good things that if you've ever been before, you know there's going to be some good food. We look forward to that. There's going to be some entertainment for us out there that day. There'll be some games for kids and some activities, and um, there'll be a lot of good fellowship going on. And then we're going to top off the evening uh, with a uh, song service and Devo outside. Hopefully, weather permitting, we're going to do that outside. We've done that once before, and it just is a, a really nice time, and uh, I think you'll all enjoy it. Make plans for that. Now, for those of you who are not able to come at the 2 o'clock service, there will be a 10 o'clock service, and uh, you can make that one. So, just want you to know about that. Okay, um, there's rumors going around that this is going to be a long sermon. And I've been hearing it just a little. And so uh, I've got three words for you guys. Pack a lunch. <laughs> Not making excuses, just pack a lunch. Um, we had a reading there, Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. And God was talking to Jeremiah and he says, you go down to the potter's house and I'm going to speak to you there. There's another verse uh, that goes along with that. It's over in Romans chapter 9, starting with verse 21. He says, Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had before prepared unto glory. These are the two verses, the two texts that we'll be using today, and, and then we're going to throw some others in with them. But the thought is, is brought up here of the potter and the clay. Now, uh, the context here on both of these is not with individuals, it's with a nation of people. In Jeremiah, the context is God dealing with a rebellious nation of Israel. He's trying to use Jeremiah to warn them that they need to change their ways. He's very specific about what he wants and needs them to do and exactly what's coming if they don't. In fact, he goes on through Jeremiah and he says, if you don't straighten up, I will send the Babylonians, I will send King Nebuchadnezzar, and he will destroy you and he will carry you off into captivity but he said at the end of the 70 years captivity, he said, I'll destroy him and I will bring up another nation to take his place because of his wickedness. God names names there and God gives details 
and he's trying to tell his people that, that he is in control. That's the main thing. Over in Romans, the verse that we just read, God is dealing with the Israelites again, but he's dealing with them in another time frame, and he's dealing with them in just a little bit different way, but it's kind of the same story. The Israelite nation has now seen Jesus come, and they have crucified him, and he has gone back to heaven, and he has established his church here on this earth, and they have resisted that, and they have turned away from that, and because they've turned away from that, God is saying, you are no longer Abraham's seed spiritually. There's a new group of people that are now Abraham's seed. And those are the ones that are spiritually pleasing to me. Those are the ones that are following my word. And you are no longer that special people, Israel. And what he is also telling them is, at the same time, I am in control. I am the one who makes the decisions. As we look at that, the idea of the God said to Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house. I want you to think about that just a minute, and I want to I tell you kind of what that looks like. Now, I Googled this yesterday, and Google's an amazing thing, and you can Google stuff, and I'm just kind of getting into that, and, and uh, that's funny to some of you young guys that were raised on that all your life, but I don't think that way. I don't naturally just go that way, but, but I did. I Googled it, and I got a YouTube video on, on a potter and clay. And don't do that right now, please. You can do that later. But I'd advise if you want to to look at that, but it is really neat, and it, gives, it shows you a picture of a potter at work making this object. I thought it was so cool that I called my wife. I said, hey, come here, Deborah, look at this. And she was busy, and I finally said, come here, Deborah, look at this. And she came over, and she sat down, and I said, look at this. They're making these clay pots. And she said, I know I've seen that. I said, well, yeah, look. And then she finally said, well, that's kind of cool. I thought it was really cool. Anyway, she gets to hear about it again. So the thing was, I want, to, I want to tell you how this works. So the potter, he is in charge all the way. And what he might have done was taken a, a, a hole, dig a hole or dig a pit, and he puts the clay in there, and then he puts a little water, and he puts maybe some, some grass or some straw or something if he wants to strengthen it, but he prepares, and he puts in there what he needs, and then he takes off his sandals, and he gets down in there, and he starts working it with his feet, trampling on it, trampling on it, working it with his feet till he gets it just like he wants it to look. There's an interesting verse in Isaiah chapter 41 and 25 that alludes to this, and God says, he says there, God will trample rulers as a potter treads clay. Another verse telling us that God is in control of all things. God can tread that out just like a potter treads out his clay. And so he gets in there and he works that with his feet until it's just like he wants it. And then he selects just the right amount of clay. Just the right amount. And he goes to the wheel. And there's a big flat stone wheel of some kind. And he sets that right in the center. And he works really hard to put it in the very center because it's important that it is centered properly as he begins to work. And as he begins to tread the uh, little pedal of probably what he had and it would turn that wheel, he controlled that. He controlled the speed as it went. And not only that, but he would take water out of a pot sitting next to him and he would use water to keep that pliable as he worked. And he controlled the amount of water as he worked. And you know, he would take his hands and, and it was so, you could just watch him at work and just taking his hands and just a little pressure here and a little pressure there and that thing would take shape. 
this lump of clay started taking shape right in front of him as it spans slowly around, slowly around, and he's working and bringing the water and bringing it and molding it. And you know, he would take his hands not only just on the outside, but he would take his hands on the inside, and he would put pressure here and a little less there, and then he would move it. It was amazing for me to watch as he formed that vessel. This is what this might have looked like, and this is what God wants us to get a picture of when he puts these illustrations in the Bible for us. But what we really need to understand about this story as we get into it is God is the potter. God is the master potter, and we're just clay. We're all just clay. The first point that we really need to make today is that God is the master potter. God is in control. Just like that I just illustrated, he was in charge. He was in control of, of what that clay would look like. He was in control of how much he used. He was in control of the medium, which was water. He was in control of the speed. Everything about that, he was in control of the clay just sat there. Now, the clay had one option. You could either be pliant or you could not be. And as we go through this lesson, you need to keep that in mind. As clay, we really only have two options. But God is always in control. Whether we like it or not, whether we choose to admit it or not, or follow along, God is in control. God not only chooses the clay that he uses, God creates the clay that he uses. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, God said, let us make man in our image. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Genesis 2 and verse 7, he formed man of the dust of the earth. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. Psalms 100 and verse 3, do you not know that the Lord, he is God? It is he that hath made us, and we are his. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16, for by him were all things created. In heaven and earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created by him and for him. These are verses, and there are so many other verses within the Bible that tell us that God is in control. Never forget that God is the master potter. He makes all the decisions. He gets to make all the rules. He is in control. As we go farther in and we look at that a little bit further, we look at the fact that as God is in control, as he is the potter and he makes those decisions, uh, he doesn't randomly make those decisions for us. God has had a design for us for a long time. And you need to understand too that God starts out with this design for everybody. We're all in mind for him when he has this design. He, all, he starts out with the same type of clay every time. He has the same picture in his mind of what he wants to make. He's got the design in mind for all of us. God has had that design in mind for a long, long time. The verse we read in Romans chapter uh, 9, verse 23, just a while ago, it says that he had that uh, a for or before he had prepared unto glory. He had it before prepared unto glory. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says much the same thing. For we are his workmanship, 
We're created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before prepared that we should walk in them. God didn't prepare the vessels before. He prepares them as he goes, but he had the design prepared before he ever created the earth. He had a design for the vessels that he wanted to create and how he wanted them to look. Not only did he uh, have that design, he tells us in 2 Timothy what that design looks like. If you look over in 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting with verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure. Having this seal, the Lord knows them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from unrighteousness. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared for every good work. There's your description of God's design mind that he had. What he wants every one of these vessels to look like is here. It doesn't say anything about beauty. It doesn't say anything about how pretty he wants them to be. But it talks about what he wants them to be like. He says three things. He said he wants them to be sanctified or he wants them to be pure. One of the things that the potter will do as he spins that is he feels that with his hands in that clay is he'll look for impurities and he'll look for little things that, that are not, they don't belong there. And if he finds those, he'll stop and he'll use an instrument and he'll get that out of there. He'll dig that out and then he'll continue on till he has what he considers a pure vessel. God wants us to be pure. He wants us, all the impurities taken out as we serve him. He wants a vessel that's suited for the master's use, fit for the master's use. We need to be a vessel that he can use in his service. And his service is he wants us to be prepared to do good works. This is what God has designed for all his vessels to be. Now, not only has he designed us to look like that, but he has a purpose. And he tells us what that purpose is. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting with verse 5, he said, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the greatness of the power may be of God and not of us. There's his purpose. His purpose is in the fact that we are earthen vessels. His purpose is in the fact that he wants us to be the avenue that he saves the world through. He says we have a treasure in these earthen vessels. We're supposed to be carrying a treasure. What is that treasure? He tells us what that is. Jesus came to be the light of the world. And Jesus left that example for us, and he wants us to carry that light to the world. And in carrying that light to the world, we become a vessel for good. We become useful. That's the purpose he had in mind. It seems kind of ludicrous at times that God would leave that in the hands of mere humans, but that was God's plan for us to be the vessels that save the world. In verse 5, he even tells us more specifically, he says that we yourselves 
need to be servants for Jesus' sake. If you're going to be a vessel to honor, you need to be useful in the kingdom. You need to be learning to be a servant for Jesus' sake. You need to be an example to others in the way that you shine your light. These are things that God had in mind for all vessels as he started with his creation. We have been created to be useful. As we think about that and as we go a little further into it, what does a useful vessel look like? Well, they're not all created the same. They don't all look the same. They're not even really created all for the same type of work. There's a lot of different vessels in God's service. There's a lot of different things that they can be used for in God's service. But even though there are different ways they can be used, they can all still be honorable to God. Romans chapter 12, you go back to uh, Romans chapter 12 and you start in verse 3, and God's going to talk about some gifts that he has set within the church. We're going to start describing some of these ways that vessels can be used. And he says, Through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, do not think more highly of himself than he ought to think. But think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether it's prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of our faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministry. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. Him that ruleth with diligence. Him that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Now this is just a short list of things that, that God has put within the church. And God looks for these things within his church. These are some areas that need to be covered within his church. And you can look at that list and you can say, well, I don't see myself on that list. Well, maybe you need to find yourself a way to get on that list. There are other ways that you can be used, but this is just some of them. As I look at that list, there are people there that are just exhorters. They're good exhorters. They're good encouragers. That's an easy thing to do, to be an exhorter. There are people there who show mercy with cheerfulness. That might be a little harder for us to practice, but we can try it. And we all are capable at times of doing that. There are those who even have a gift of giving. Now, if you look at that list, that's one I'd like to be. I'd like to be able to give great gifts to the church. But I'm not able to do that. God didn't bless me in that way. This congregation has been blessed, however, by some individuals who have given some substantial amounts. God has blessed them in their life, and they have blessed this congregation through some really wonderful gifts and allowed us to to be in a position that we're in right now there are those who are still doing that and, and I don't know who all those are but I know who some of them are and some of the ones that I know I bet you that most of the people here don't know about that's an amazing thing to be able to be a giver in God's kingdom and we all can to some extent and God doesn't look on the amount but certainly if you're able to give large amounts, that is a huge blessing to the church. And it's not to be overlooked. There's another thought that we find over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, Paul is dealing with that. And he first talks about spiritual gifts. Now they had spiritual gifts within the early church that we don't have today. And he lists some of those things here. And I'm not going to read those. And that's in five, uh, 5 through 9. But one of the things that he mentions in verse 11 is that 
even though there are different kinds of gifts, they're all given by the same Spirit. And they're given according to how the Spirit wants to give those out. And so the gift is not controlled by the receiver. The gift is controlled by the one giving it. And the Spirit is in, in control. That's important because sometimes there is division over who does what. And there certainly was at this time in the church at Corinth. And he's telling them it doesn't matter who does what. You follow the Spirit and everybody's going to be okay. Let the Spirit be the guide. And then he talks about the, uh, the members within the church, which does apply to us. And he says, for, if the body, uh, for the body is not one member, but many. And if the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it has pleased Him. God's still in control. God has a picture in mind, not only for us as vessels, but He has a picture in mind for His church and His kingdom here on earth, and how those vessels interact and work and are used within that church. And He says they're not all used the same way. They have different uses, but, but they're all working for the same purpose. And God sets them in order as it pleases Him, not as it pleases us, as it pleases Him. We need to always keep that in mind. He goes on to talk about the different types of works that, that can be within the church and how the church as a body interacts with, with itself and how some are more prominent and, and others are less prominent and yet none is more important than the other. They all work together for the same common good. Now, we need to remember that this is how God wants it. God does this to please himself. So right now I've got a, I'm going to put some, uh, I'm going to give you an illustration. I've never had a PowerPoint before, but i got a PowerPoint. Paul, you got me ready to go? I'm ready for the first picture. There it is, my first attempt at PowerPoint. Pretty cool, huh? Okay, so what I did was I, I want to put a little face on this. And y'all, this is your wake-up moment, okay? If, if you've been dozing a little, wake up. This is cool. So you got, um, this is in my house. It's a, pretty little, it's a pretty little pot. Now, it's got a special use. Um, Emma Kate, my granddaughter, if she was here, she would know exactly what that pot is for, that it's very useful in my house. Go ahead, Paul, and show them what's in it. Ooh, gummy snacks. A lot of times when she comes in, that's straight first place she goes to get some gummy snacks. So that is very useful to her, and it's useful in our house. It keeps it in a good spot where she can get to it. Let's go to the next one. So there's a little pot at our house. Kind of cute, kind of old-looking, kind of rustic. What do you think we do with that? Anybody got a guess? No guess? Show them, Paul. Flowers. We put flowers. That's probably not important to imitate as much. She probably doesn't pay that much attention to the flowers. But it's kind of neat for the whole ambiance. Makes the house look nice. And so that's what we use it for. Let's show them another one, Paul. Oh, what do you think we use that for? What? Oh, did you say coffee? Show them, Paul. Wrong. Tea. Man, you guys missed that. Show them the next one, Paul. Oh, what do you think we use that for? Don't say tea, Paul. Coffee. 
There you go. You got to know what your stuff is and how to use it. Okay, I got another one here. Oh, that's a nice, pretty blue picture. What do you think we use that for? T. No, Sean Paul. Flowers again. We got a lot of rooms that we need flowers in. It's been used for tea, by the way, but right now it's being used for flowers. I got one more. Last one. Ooh, kind of dumpy looking. Does anybody feel like a dumpy looking vessel? What's that? What do you think we use that for? What? Not milk, Sean Paul. Oh! <laughs> Who wants to be that vessel? No. Okay. All right. As you go through these and as you, as you wake up, they all have different purposes. Some of them could, could have more than one purpose. Uh, I'm sure that that little squatty pot wasn't made for that brush, but it works really good for us. When you think about that, so my wife, she purchased all those things. Now, the illustration is not that my wife is like God here, okay? I want you to understand that. The illustration is about the pots, but she's in control. And she gets to say what they do. Those pots don't answer back to her. Those pots don't get to say, well, I, don't, I want to hold flowers today. They do what she wants because she's in control. And those pots serve a purpose around our house, some more important than others. There's even that last one there. That last one there gets to do some dirty work for us. And you know what? When you're thinking, when you're thinking about that analogy of the potter and the clay, and one of the things that I noticed when that, when that guy was doing that on that YouTube thing, his hands were dirty as he worked. As he shaped that dish, as he shaped that vessel, his hands were dirty. You think that God's hands get dirty when he's shaping vessels to his service? It's a little bit of dirty work sometimes. And, and, and in the like manner, as we go about doing his work, there are times that there's some dirty work to be done. Thank goodness and praise God that there are those who will do some dirty work. I think God holds them in high esteem, those who will do that grudge work day after day. One of the hardest things to find as far as service in the church is someone who will take hold of a job that nobody else wants and they'll keep doing that until somebody says quit. God loves these kind of people. And as you look at those things around our house and you think about the fact that we've already read twice that there are vessels of honor and there are vessels of dishonor. You might think that last one was a vessel of dishonor, but that's not what God's talking about. That was a vessel of honor too. All of those were vessels of honor because they're all useful in the service of that house. The same with us as Christians. Okay, I got another thing here. Is this too long yet? Doesn't matter. Um, so I'm going to put some more faces on this for y'all. You see these people down here in the pink on the second pew? Them Rothies? Wave. Rothies. Wave, Katie, you're a Rothie. You're not in pink. 
So y'all don't try to get this seat, okay? That's their seat. And they're always in that seat on Sunday morning. So I'm going to talk about Wesley Rothy for a minute. Um, when you get to think about vessels, it's a good thing that God didn't specify that vessels be pretty. Because Wesley, you know, I don't think he, of him as a pretty little vessel. I said that in early service, so I'm going to say it now. Wesley's got some, he's got some skills now, and he can be used, and he, he allows himself to be used in some ways around here. Wesley does visiting. I'm gone, Paul. Nope, I'm back. He'll teach, he'll preach, he'll, he'll fill in the holes. But there's one thing that I don't want to tell you about Wesley you probably don't know, and this is maybe one of the things that I appreciate about him more than anything else. Fourteen years ago, when we had our first elder meeting, we nominated Wesley, I think I nominated Wesley, to be our secretary. And so Wesley, for the last 14 years, has been secretary in all the elders' meetings. Now, you didn't know that, did you? I'm going to tell you something. That guy right there, he is good at that job. And that's a job that really... I don't think anybody else wants, and I know nobody else would be as good at it as Wesley Rothy. And I don't know if he likes it or not, but he acts like he likes it. And he takes that job and he runs with it, and he does an amazing job keeping up with our records and keeping us up to speed because we have a tendency to forget some of those things. And he, he does a wonderful job. And that's not all he does. It may not be the most important thing here in what he does because as an elder, he does a lot of things but it's one thing I appreciate. He's got his wife sitting there and she does. Stop. She does good too. Reese is a great teacher. Um, those of you that have been uh, blessed to sit in her classes know that. She is, uh, she's more than just a great teacher. Uh, she does so many things around here, so many things, and she has got her hand in everything. And, you know, the thing that, that makes her special is she is willing to work, and she's willing to use her talents, and she's willing to do that for the better of this congregation. I appreciate that about her. And then even Kate's sitting there. Kate teaches kids. She works... Uh, all week long at Powell's Preschool with kids all day, every day. A lot of us would go crazy, but she does good at it. She's a good teacher and she teaches them. But you know what else? She comes and, and she teaches our kids here too. And on Sunday night, she's right there in that children's Bible hour, just working her head off. I don't know of anything that Katie takes a lead in necessarily. I might be missing something, but I'm telling you, she is a great support system. She will back up what you're doing and she will get behind it and she will work. And I like that about her. Randy Simpkins. So I got this, I got this nickname for Randy Simpkins. Randy Simpkins, where is it? He's the Swiss Army knife of all vessels in the church. You like that? He's the Swiss Army knife of all vessels. If you need a greeter at the door, you call Randy. If you need a class talk, you call Randy. 
If you need somebody to go to camp and counsel the boys, you call Randy. If you need somebody to help you move, you call Randy. If you need somebody to build a walkway, you call Randy. And on and on. And you guys know this. And I've picked some obvious people in this, but, but you know what? These are people that are using their vessel to give glory to God. And these are people that sometimes we need to uphold and we need to use for examples. And we need to try to emulate these people when we can. These are vessels of honor. You know, there are people that go and make visits at the nursing home or there are people that go and make visits at the hospital. Those are vessels of honor. But you know, there's people that sit at home and they write encouraging cards. Those are vessels of honor too. There are men like Spencer that will stand up and preach from this pulpit and that's a vessel of honor. But you know, there's people that will go next door and they'll mow their neighbor's yard when they're sick. That's a vessel of honor. There are youth ministers like Michael. He's a vessel of honor to this congregation. But you know, there are people that are bus drivers and, and there are people who allow kids into their home and there are chaperones on trips. Hey, those are vessels of honor too. It takes a lot of different things to make a congregation uh, the body that God wants it to be. Now we talked about vessels of honor, vessels of dishonor were mentioned. I want to briefly hit on that. One of the thoughts that's involved here is uh, found in Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 16. Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work say of him that made it, he made me not. Or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it, he had no understanding. Isn't that weird? Isn't that strange that the, the object that's created would tell the creator, you don't know what you're doing. You didn't make me. You don't understand me. It's kind of crazy. If you look back in Romans, where we were a while ago, there's one more. Starting with verse 20, Nay, but, O man, who art thou that replies against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why have you made me this way? Three thoughts. You didn't make me. You don't understand me. Why did you make me like this? And you think, well, I, that would not be me. That's ludicrous. It's kind of like those pots that we showed you a while ago telling my wife where they wanted to sit and what they wanted to hold. That just doesn't happen, does it? And yet God says it does. How does that happen? You didn't make me. You didn't make me sounds like a man who is self-sufficient. Sounds like a man who trusts in himself, a self-made man. A man that doesn't need God telling him what to do. I've made myself and I'll continue to make myself and I'll take care of myself. You know, when we come up with an attitude like that, we find ourselves opposite God. We find ourselves not being a vessel of honor, but a vessel of dishonor. When we say to God, you don't understand me, 
That's kind of like saying, my needs are not being met. You don't understand what I need. Telling the Creator that He doesn't understand what you need? How can we be that bold? And yet, sometimes we find ourselves in that position. Why did you make me this way? I'm not satisfied with my position in life, and I'm not satisfied with my position in the church. That's kind of what you're telling God when you make that statement. You find yourself in that position. You know, we don't have a right to do that. I told you a while ago that clay only has a couple of options. You can either be pliable or you can be resisting. And this is the attitude of clay that is resistant to the master's will. This is the attitude of clay that, that won't get in line and won't let God mold them into what he wants them to be. Uh, we have the example that we talked about of the church at Corinth, and that was one of their problems. They, they wanted to fuss and fight. They didn't want to take what God had given them and use that to bless him. They wanted to criticize him, and they wanted to criticize others, and they, they wanted a different job. You know, we even find the apostles in a position similar to this. On, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, they were still talking to one another and discussing who was going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And that's when Jesus gave them the lesson on foot washing. And he showed them how that through foot washing they should be servants and not, and not lords. It's a great lesson for us to remember. And you know, another lesson for us to remember is that even when, um, even when clay becomes a little bit resistant, even when it's not quite what God wants it to be, God doesn't just take that clay and throw it away. You know, in Jeremiah, when, uh, the reading that was read by David and the story there, if you, if you go back to it and you look, he was working with the clay and the clay was marred in some way. He didn't throw it away. He started off, he broke it down and he started reshaping it. God is that way. God is the potter and he doesn't give up on clay just because it resists a little bit or because it, there's a mistake in it. God continues to work that clay and continues to try and, and mold it into that design that he had for it. And he'll be very patient, and he'll be patient for a very long time, and the Bible explains that to us also. He doesn't just crush it and walk away. Um, my father-in-law has not been to church in over 50 years. But last week, he went to church. God is patient. God will wait. God will try to reshape, and he'll try to salvage and use whatever he can. Never forget that. God even has the ability to take us when we're broken completely apart and put us back together and use us to his glory. And then there are those that, that are mentioned that, that are truly dishonorable in every way. They have no intention of changing. They're not gonna change and God knows that about them, but God can even take those and he can use those to show his glory to others. Much as he did uh, King Pharaoh, or 
back in Egypt. He said, I'm going to use you. I raised you up, and I'm going to use you to show mercy to those who want to serve me. As we all close, we need to remember that God is in control of your life. God makes the decisions for you. All you have to do is get in line and let him continue to work in your life. You know, you may already be doing some things in God's kingdom, and that's great. One of the things that I didn't mention a while ago is when you, that video, at one point he had a good-looking little vessel going, and I thought he was about done, and all of a sudden he reached over and he picked up another piece of clay, and he stuck it right on top. And he just, he just added to it, and he just rolled it in, and it just became something even better. And God will work that way in you. You may be already doing your best to work for him, but God is going to bless you in other ways as you, as you move along. And God is going to help you to grow in ways that maybe you even didn't think you could. Allow God to work in your life by being uh, pliant with his will. Let God show you what you can do in his kingdom. At the end of the day and at the end of this lesson, we come back to the same conclusion that Israel came to in Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 8. But now, O Lord, thou art our father, we are the clay, and thou art our potter, and we are all the work of thy hand. We need to be the work of God. We need to be useful in his kingdom. We need to be a vessel to honor. And there's so, so many ways that you can do that. Be useful in his kingdom. If you have a need today, now is the time that you can make that known. If you've been thinking about becoming a Christian, now is an outstanding time to make that happen. You can come forward and you can confess before this congregation that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You can be baptized for the remission of your sins and you can be a part of the kingdom that God has had in mind since before he created the earth. And that kingdom gives you rights to be with him for eternity. If you have needed all, would you come while we stand and sing? Have thine own way.